Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. Since early 2019, I've been interviewing the most successful and innovative recruitment owners to learn how they rose to the top of their game. In season seven, I'm going to be having raw, authentic and insightful conversations with agency owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, people across the industry. And I want to be learning about their ambitions, what's happening behind the scenes in their agencies today and their plans to navigate difficult market conditions. I'll be bringing you the latest and greatest recruitment stories every single week on Wednesdays at noon across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I'm delighted to be joined by Josh Huggins, the founder of GS2, that is Global Sustainability Search Recruitment, headquartered in Basingstoke. They're just over 18 months old with eight employees. Um, What I loved about this episode is Josh has been listening to this show for the last four or five years. um, And he went through an incredibly um, important and intricate process prior to going into starting his business. So he went through a, a trade sale with his previous organization where he was the second largest largest shareholder and had a five-year earnout as part of that process. So he had to, to wait five years, get paid year on year before deciding to start his own business just over 18 months ago. He then, he had a baby, I think it was two months before he started his business and he still managed to grow a super profitable scalable business. Um, he's brought Tom Glanfield in from LHI as his advisor as a result of listening to the RAG. And he's seriously one of the most methodical, well-planned, organized recruitment founders of a, of a new startup that I've come across uh, this year. So this guy's got an amazing track record. He's got a plan moving forward and he can detail out how he's doing what he's doing. So listen up, take notes and enjoy. Without further ado, Josh, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thank you very much, Sean. It's great to be here and uh, a long, long time listener of the RAG podcast. So delighted to have my spot to in the hot seat, as it Mate, were. Mate, I'm pleasure to have you on. It's, uh, yeah, the, the episode we ref- we had a chat last week and the episode you, you know, you referred to was 2019. I think I did the one with Tom Glanfield. That was a yeah. long time ago. So, and actually, yeah, fi- the, the show is five years old in January. That is mad. That is literally, I know, I've loved every second of it, but that is bonkers. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I've given you a brief introduction there, buddy, but do me a favor. Give us the overview of your business now, and then we'll go back and we'll tell the story as always. Sure. So yes, uh, I'm Josh Huggins, founder of GS2. Uh, GS2 stands for Global Sustainable Search. And we're a global talent solutions and executive search firm uh, focusing on uh, the sustainability, I suppose, as a as a concept, um, we believe we're on a critical journey to connect the people who believe in leaving the world better than we found it. And we work within uh, sectors that play their part in this transition uh, that the world is going through right now. So um, the ideal goal of where, where it gets to is a multi-brand business. Um, but at the moment, they're divisions within GS2. Um, five of them. So we have sustainable finance and responsible investment. So that's yep. more of a financial services recruiter, a sustainable property infrastructure and consultancy. Um, so working more in the built environment and construction and, and similar. Sustainable energy and clean technology. That's more in the renewable space. Um, sustainable impact, which is uh, more in the not-for-profit areas. So we focus on the social side of sustainability there. And then everything else, um, which doesn't have a very good name at the moment, we call sustainable business. It's more um, like traditional, more traditional businesses, consumer goods, manufacturing, food areas. And we typically recruit um, in central functions, but predominantly sustainability, uh, communication, strategy, safety, um, the roles that perhaps aren't always the commercial drivers uh, in mm. some aspects, but a really core functions of ensuring the business does what it needs to do to survive and thrive. Amazing. And and I imagine those, there'll be a certain size company that you'll work with really that will invest heavily in that. It's, is there much going on in the, in the, in the SME market for well, that type of position? The consultancy space is much more in the is SMEs because the, um, the market for, especially sustainability consultancy has grown significantly over the past three years or so. So mm. a lot of organizations there will be between, I don't know, zero and 50 um, staff, which is a great place to, to be. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
course, some of the and, and also in finance, you know, private equity firms, we do a lot of work with some of those can be quite small, although they have large um, uh, kind of assets under management, but um, but all the way through to FTSE 100, large, big global corporates. And I forgot to mention, we we work globally, so across the UK, Europe, Americas and Asia Pacific, um, we do searches from sunny Basingstoke. Wow. So you you've been going, what, a year and eight months, is it? Yes, yeah. Ish. Started in, yeah. in May, May last year. So amazing. Um, yeah. And how many people you got now? So we're eight, a team of eight now. Um, probably eighty percent perm, twenty percent interim contract. Um, and of the perm that we do, I'd probably say ninety percent of that is retained. So we can come on to talk wow. about the methodology. But well, mate, look, I'm loving the. Post-COVID businesses, that's one thing I would say. At the moment, I've interviewed quite a few. I've just interviewed another um, last week. And, and it, you know, there's such an innovation about this first couple of years in business, and especially in a post-COVID world, in a sustainable, digitally connected world. It's so different than perhaps five, even 10 years ago, um, the world that we live in and, and the different types of emerging markets, AI, data analytics. There's so much going on now that you might not have even thought was possible a few years ago from a... Only, not only from a process perspective internally, but markets you can specialize in. Like you say, sustainability recruitment or AI recruitment or whatever, like that didn't exist in the past. So let's get into the story, Josh. You, you were, you've been in recruitment a while. So tell us, how did you get into the industry? It was an IT recruitment job you took first. Yeah. What, what was the story about that? Well, back beyond that, I suppose, the story growing up, like most uh, young lads, was uh, wanted to be a professional footballer, and that was my dream. Right my goal and nobody could tell me I wasn't going to be that so I was very focused on that through school um that you know I wasn't gonna I wasn't going to have to get a normal job because I was gonna be a yeah, yeah, yeah. um and I was at Reading um uh, up until about 15 had a right. day, day release from school so I got to train on Wednesdays and have to go to school and you know you think you're gonna make it there in the premiership at the time it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. half it's rolled out for you and then very quickly um you start to tumble down the leagues and realize that maybe it's not so rosy as it was what and position did you play so I call myself and I know you're a city fan I'm united so yeah, I yeah. Talk too much about football right now but I call myself the non-league James Milner so I, played, uh, utility man, centre mid, but play full back and full back, left back, centre back, left left mid. In fact, I actually started left wing for I got um, I played for a team called Haven at Waterlooville, and we got promoted to the Conference Prem. So we were playing right. we were only two teams in that were part time. I was at this point we were halfway through the sale of principal people, which I come on to, but yeah, yeah. but mad reality pre COVID, I was running this uh, running this business running a business. Um, playing football on the Saturdays where we would tr we would travel on the Friday. I'd be working on the coach whilst all the boys were playing PlayStation and stuff in the back. I'd be working, closing deals, doing stuff. Um, we'd stop off, we'd train somewhere. So we trained at some amazing places. We trained at West Brom's training grounds. We trained at Birmingham City. We trained, go to the hotel. I'd finish my work. Saturday morning, we'll wake up and it'd be like being a professional footballer. We'd play, we played Wrexham away. I started. Yeah. Loads of teams. So, so, so I got back to being part time. But essentially, I had to make a decision at nineteen. I was, I had, I was on a first year pro at Crawley Town, um, right. and the glitz and glamour of football at that level isn't quite there. So, I made a decision after sort of only three or four months that I wanted to get a proper job and right. have something that was a career. And I why know do you think you didn't make it? Like, just be honest with yourself, because that's the tough. My dad was a pro. He was at Everton for four years, and he quit at twenty nine. He never got into the first team though. And he was in the reserves for four years. He was like Brian Kidd and Imre Varadi and all these like top players. He drove every day from Manchester to Liverpool with Brian Kidd in the same car, right? And yeah. he became United's assistant, City's assistant. And uh, my dad just wasn't mentally good enough. That's his opinion. He says he just didn't, he wasn't consistent enough. He was great on his day, but he couldn't, he was a winger. He couldn't, couldn't produce that blistering pace and performance week in, week out like the top players. And yeah. he'd just have two or three good games, two or three bad games. And he just felt maybe his, his mood personally affected his performances too much. Um, what would you say about you? I think I was consistent, but I just don't think I was consistently good enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was, I was good at, I was, I was pretty good at everything, uh, but yeah. I was never the standout in one position, which meant in my non-league days, I became a very good utility player because I could play yeah. across different positions. But I just think 
the caliber i remember being when i was at, i was at reading and i watched the under 18s playing this is we're talking under 18s of a premiership academy they, those players are nowhere near the first team um, yeah. and just watching the intensity and the pace and the way they played and I think it was at that point I looked and thought, yeah, you're a mile, you're a mile off that. So you're not going to, you know, you're not going to make it. But, um, I, but I think it was a great, it was a great decision. It was the best decision I made because I played with lots of people who spent far too long chasing the dream. And yeah. then actually at 25, 26, sometimes even later had the reality that they had to step back and then, you know, didn't have qualifications, didn't have an education, didn't have a, a work ethic to go into something that was going to be for the long term. So I think it was quite brave at 19 to make that decision. But And it was recruitment that you went straight into? So I actually did probably like four or five months on a building site, which um, right. was... Uh, yeah, it taught me a bit of hard work, uh, cash in hand, but it was never going to be, it was never going to be the long-term thing. I wanted no. to make money. Uh, I had lots of friends that have made it successfully as professional footballers. Um, so I wanted something that I could be proud of like that. And I knew it was never going to be in that regard. So I, I just went to, I wanted to get into sales. That was what I sort of thought. I'll get into sales. And I went to a recruitment to, well, I went to a sales recruitment company, but they also did rec to rec. I didn't know what rec to rec was at the time. And they put me in touch with um, three companies, an S3 company, um, or S, to, to S3, to IT Talent and to uh, GCS. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember, I'll never forget it. Um, and maybe I probably shouldn't name the guy's name, but um, the guy at S3, the internal recruiter at the time, um, I remember I had a phone call with him in the car park before I went for an interview with Softcat, which was a uh, an IT sales. Yeah, yeah. Me and I sat in the car park with him and we had a, an interview and he said to me after about 20 minutes, you know, your yeah, recruitment's not for you. Yeah, you know, don't don't pursue this industry because, you know, you don't you don't have it, basically. And uh, I don't know if that always, always obviously it's always stuck with me because it was 12 years ago and I still remember it. But Mate, that spurred me on to, I, uh, to make sure I was successful. I had literally identical... I was in Australia. You probably heard me tell this story before. And my best mate, or one of them, it was me, Amar, and a guy called James who who went to Australia. And James stayed in Asia a bit longer than us, got to Melbourne. We were already working in like building sites and cafes. And James just went straight and got a job at Randstad in recruitment. And he was a he did mortgage advisory and sales in the UK. So we were like, I don't even know what recruitment was. Mm-hmm. He just he had a he had a he had a knowledge of what recruitment was. We didn't. So then I I went to the same rector he went. And it was a guy who worked um, at his own, you know, he was a partner in a firm. And I went and met him and I wasn't dressed that well. I was a traveler, but I feel like I can talk and I had summer. I'd always back myself. And we had a good chat. And then I was, I left and he's like, yeah, I'm going to represent you to Randstad and all this stuff. Because I was like, well, I want to go work there. My mate works there. And they're massive. And I heard nothing back. And I chased him for two weeks. And then I got an email saying Randstad are no longer taking overseas candidates. So I'm, I'm a foreigner, so no chance. I was like, Interesting that because I've actually got an interview myself with Randstad the same week. So I I'd, I'd just approached him myself and got in. And then I got a job. And then the worst bit was about a month in, he forgot who I was and he starts trying to headhunt me. Oh. So he rings me up and he's like, oh, and he's giving me this spiel. And I said, do you know who I am? He's like, he couldn't remember me for love and money. So I sent him an email back. I forwarded the, my personal email to my work email and I replied to it saying, Randstad no longer take overseas candidates from my email signature at Randstad, and he still didn't reply. But a bit like you, I think I always, I remembered that. It stuck in with me. Like, fuck you. I'm going to do all right here. (laughs) So, yeah, so it was, um, but it was a bit of a knock, you know. I hadn't really been in that environment. I didn't know what was... um, what it was like and hit, having that rejection i suppose the good thing about football and i you know i look at a lot of people in the recruitment industry that have had previous uh professional sporting backgrounds you know, you, you win that you get that resilience um but i never had it in a work setting so it was a big knock and i remember i called the rec to rec and said do you think i'm actually do you think i can do this for your recruitment they were like just go to the interview tomorrow yeah you'll be fine and yeah i, I went to it talent and uh, and, and got a job there so they're a it recruiter that were in reading and london at the time and yeah just fell in love with it straight away um i my, i talked to my mom my mom and i we talked about it a lot i used to come home every day and practice my scripts on her you know, every night I could just be practicing, trying to get it as good as possible, working all hours, uh, all weekends. Um, 
And I stopped playing football for a year, actually, when I first, or probably about six months when I first started, because I just wanted to really dedicate and focus on it. But I just love the fact that you could take responsibility for your success. It was down to you. And, you know, you worked hard, you made stuff happen. So it was a brilliant... And you were, yeah, you were directly rewarded for your success. You were competitive. There's there's definitely similarities to sport and and sales, right, and recruitment. What would you say, though, like... Cause it, a lot of recruitment firms really want sports people. Like they, they, you know, we want a rugby player, we want a footballer, we want a swimmer, we want. I don't think that necessarily always correlates. Like we've, I've hired people that were ex-sportsmen who did well, and I've interviewed and hired some that were shit. Yeah, and they, they, because it's speak. At the end of the day, you're speaking for a living. You're not mm. actually getting up and throwing a ball or playing tennis or playing football. Like you're actually on the phone, and it's pretty stationary a lot of the time, and it's it's conversing for a living as opposed to using your body. How yeah. would you agree that it's not always a direct correlation? For sure, I'd agree because I don't think there's one size that you know, works for recruitment. But the bit that I think you get from sports is the discipline. And I think if you're disciplined and you love recruitment or you, know, you don't have to love it, but you enjoy what you do, those are the two components. The sports people that I've seen, they just hate being in an office on the phone to people. So although they yeah. have discipline, if they don't enjoy it, they're never going to do it. So I think you have to have the, yeah. you, have to, you have to enjoy what you do. Otherwise, you're um, you're not going to make it. Exactly. So you you went on and spent a long time then with your next firm. Tell us about what, because you ended up being quite a senior member of staff, right? Sure. Yeah. So so I think, yeah, IT talent was a great learning ground for what I yeah, I, I learned hard work. There was, there wasn't a huge amount of training. I, yeah, I, I got a lot of respect for Kevin, the guy who run, who runs the business, um, and he created some exceptional recruitment leaders. I mean, the, Jason Rumley at Intellitech, Sam Marsh now runs a company called Ad, uh, Adapt, I think. Ben Charleston. Yep. Um, there's a number of good people that have gone on to do some great things and create their own businesses. It's almost like a mini sort of. It's not to the same scale as S3, but like a mini version of that that people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. But what they taught you was hard work. You know, you'd get a canvas list, you start at the top and you're doing 200 calls a day to get to the bottom. And there wasn't a lot of um, support outside of that, but it taught you how to be really hardworking. And moving to Principal People, which was my next business, um, and keeping and retaining that energy, I think was so important because we went from something that was in IT talent in Reading. I think there was something like 15 IT recruiters in, on the same road that we were on. And I went to yeah. principal people, which is a very niche specialist in health, safety and environmental recruitment. And there was less than 15 competitors in the whole of the UK. So when why did you make the move? Um, so it's actually through a family connection. My uncle is very good friends with a guy, an industry veteran called Ian Nash. He was the CFO of uh, um, Michael Page and Robert Walters. And he uh, had just invested in principal people because his one of his friends, Simon Bliss, um, had just bought the business and they bought it and Ian became a yep. small shareholder in the business. So um, my uncle knew that Simon was hiring, put me in touch. I'd been at IT Talent for just about a year. Simon from team, right? Simon from team, yes, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, <laughs> at IT Talent, I had the IT support market in four postcodes of East Anglia. So um, it wasn't that fruitful. And um, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. working really hard. I think I'd made sort of something like £63 commission on month 10 and like oh, 150 wow. quid commission on month 11. And thought I could probably earn a lot more for working just yeah. as hard here. So yeah, so I went to Principal People and um, it was the yeah, best, best, that was the best decision I made. Um, going from uh, an industry that was so competitive to something that was still competitive, but we could really put our stamp on it. And the business had been established since 1986. So it had a great brand in the market, but um, had lost its way. And that's how Simon was able to buy it. Um, I joined a year after he had, he had bought the business. And we, um, yeah, we, we really looked at kind of changing the way in which the business was run. It was run previously in a, as a high, it was a bit of a high street recruiter. And the lady who founded the business was quite entrepreneurial. She saw the gap in the market for health and safety and switched the focus, but it retained the high street recruitment feel. Um, whereas when Simon came, who was more of a established business individual, and I joined from an IT recruitment background, we wanted to take it to something that was much more niche professional and to bring it back to its former its former days so so yeah so I think I joined and there was about eight staff nine staff um I remember on day one sat down and um 
I was sort of hammering the phone and everybody else was just emailing people. And I thought, have I made, have I made a bit of a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> but quite quickly, um, people moved on. Uh, we focused on the type of approach that I had. And we actually scaled all the way down to three. So it was Simon, Sue, our office manager, and myself. We moved the wow. business to Farnborough, um, which is closer to where I grew up. And we went about and Simon had this view uh, with me that we should hire younger people and train them in the way to do things. And uh, yeah, that started the process that ultimately culminated in uh, selling the company on, in 2020 to uh, on a private hotel. So how long were you there for? So from 2011 until uh, January of last year. Right. So you were there for 10 years, 12, 11 years. Yeah. 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. So, and, and uh, what, what was the business like size and scale when you went through the exit strategy or when you got to the point where you were looking at an exit? Yeah. So we, um, so I think we started the conversations about a sale in 2016. Um, I don't, um, Simon will tell you better, but I don't, I don't think it was, it was always on his cards to sell the business, but, um, I think we got approached a bit earlier than had been anticipated. So mm-hmm. it was quite important to us. I think we were about 20 staff by then. Um, it's quite important to recognize the value that the business was going to be. So we didn't want to just sell straight away because we wouldn't have received that. And um, so we looked at putting a plan in place uh, on a five-year earn out. I'd never do this again. It was one lesson learned. Five-year earn out to get the value in the business um, because the multiple that they were offering for our business, which was predominantly perm focused, was 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 really good. So we, we didn't want to let the deal go. But um it was very early. It was very early on, and it meant it was five years of really hard graft because we were fixated on this exit at the end. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't. So you it. actually did a deal, signed a deal in twenty twenty in twenty sixteen to finish in twenty one, or in twenty seventeen oh. to finish in twenty two. Yeah. I, I won't go through every piece of detail, but it was a deal that was signed then, and then it was renegotiated a couple of times on the way as well. Um, but yeah, ultimately, yes. The- but how different, like, it's a good good point though. So you're, you were basically Simon's number two, right? Yeah. And how many, you had 20 odd people. To go from you and Simon running 20 people, what was it like when suddenly there's a there's a bigger company? Because they're an overseas organization, weren't they? Yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, so well, by, by that point, although we were, we were 20, we had, we would started to put in place a, a good, uh, a good structure. So, um uh, we had, um, so, uh, we had t- t- Tara, um, my, my fiance now, um, joined as our talent manager, um, and she was responsible for all of our internal recruitment and training. So we had a belief that we should recruit talent, yeah, non-experienced recruiters and train them in our, in our methodology. Yeah. Uh, I think had we, had we done it again, recruiting some experience probably would have helped us do it quicker but we really believed in how we could train people and getting best practice out of them and that worked because the loyalty we had with our team was fantastic we didn't lose we lost one consultant which was at the after the deal had finished um in my whole time there if anyone got to consultant level they stayed because i think we trained them and they 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 yeah, yeah. what we're doing um so we had tara and then we were building our management team so uh, we some of our uh, some of our leaders joined well, most of them joined with no experience um, and we were forming that that leadership team at that point. So everybody had responsibility for maybe sort of one or two people, which meant that you know, if everybody grew by a certain amount, we could hit the numbers that we wanted. But what was it like just having someone to answer to, you know, having like board meetings and discussing? Because yeah. okay. if you don't hit a target when it's you and Simon, it's frustrating, but you're like, oh, we'll go again next month, right? Yeah. Where suddenly you've got you've got an actual commitment to somebody else that's gonna it's gonna pay you off. But how how did that feel? Well, I think it was it was slightly different because if we didn't hit, they, they were they were quite hands off. They weren't you know, they weren't in. It's not like private equity where they were wanting everything yeah. reported. You know, that we reported on a monthly basis. Would get a couple of lines email back saying you know well done great month that was probably probably it um so it didn't actually put pressure on from the perspective of the the people buying us it actually put more pressure on ourselves to deliver the targets that we wanted to i think that was where we we found the challenge or the challenge that we really wanted to focus on uh, but it was it was fun. It was exhilarating. Everybody was bought into the journey. We um, incentivized our management team to achieve certain targets with uh, with bonuses and other things that related to their own performance in addition to their commission structures. So everybody was pointing in the right direction. And I think I look back on that as a really yeah, a wonderful time of my career, 
loads of lessons learned. I made so many mistakes. I was really young at the time doing all of this. So, um, yeah, loads. Tell of- us about get, what, what would you say if you look back at that period then? So, you're, like you say, you're working towards an exit. What would have been what, what example of a mistake you might have made? Um, implementing new processes um, and without having implemented the previous ones. So Simon's, a, Simon's an ideas guy. So right. coming up with new <laughs> ideas me. and initiatives and I was having to put them into practice and play and we'd have some heated debates about them because he would be like, let's just get it done. And I'd be like, well, no, we still haven't done the last one that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, and we just, um, it was it was hard work. It was hard work because we were always striving to do more and to be better. And I think, what we didn't do enough of is take a step back and be slightly more strategic. And I think we were dictated to by the time pressure that we were under. If we had a longer term horizon, then we could make bigger and better decisions. But we were constantly having to worry about posting revenue, uh, incrementally uh, increasing it every single month, quarter, year. So, um, so yeah, so we were we were working very hard and we're working the team really hard. And I think it was exhausting for the team. We were very much focused on new business all the time, not so much about account expansion. And this is one of the reasons with GS2 why I think we're set up so much better for success is health and safety is great, it's a fu- but it's a function and it's a small function in most businesses. So even yeah. if you have a very big business, you could spend a huge amount of time business developing into it. But if there's only 10 people in that team and their, you know, their um, attrition is, is 10%, then that's one hire a year. So you might spend all that time winning one client, that's great, you do that one placement and then actually they don't wanna to talk to you for 12 months, 18 months, sometimes two years. So yeah. we're constantly having to do new business. Whereas the yeah. model that we're looking at now with, with GS2 is by focusing more on the sector and doing more disciplines within the sector, we can win one client and actually we can provide a lot more to them. Uh, so I think that's another so a lesson. Uh, another thing is the 360 model. Um, I came from IT talent, which was 360. So when I was leading people, I was like, you know, everybody's got to do sales. That's what that's what we do. And I remember one of my first team members crying, <laughs> you know, crying on the floor, not wanting to do BD calls. And um, we actually very quickly realized that she was incredible at delivery. And why would we have her trying to speak to new clients when she hates it and she's not very good at it when she could be finding candidates for us? And that's what started to build our 180 models and um uh, we're now taking that a bit further at GS2 with one with 120. But um, so thinking of different ways to scale um, and um, and just general leadership faux pas, you know, just being a young leader that doesn't really have any life experience. And I bet. Yeah. Trying to and you're still playing football. And I'm still playing professionally at this point. Um, and we'll, we'll probably come on to it. But um, then in um, uh, in, uh, in 2016, um, and when Tara and I were t- together, um, Tara had a, has, a, has a son, my stepson, Oscar. Um, he was diagnosed with a very rare and quite difficult condition called spinal muscular atrophy, which completely right. blocks our world. And um, dealing with his diagnosis and the challenges that life faces with that was, you know, it's a very, very tough time. But um, I think we were, we were so driven by what we were achieving and the things that we had on and, and looking after Oscar that we didn't really ever settle to let it sink in. Um, and it probably wow. only after the exit of the business, we actually had time to really. A message from our sponsor, Vincere. Another of their products is known as Time Temp. This is your complete integrated timesheet workforce management solution. It's pre-built, it's pre-integrated, and it's designed so no matter how much your business grows, you'll be able to keep track of every single worker in one place in your CRM. All the changes inside Vincherry will sync with TimeTemp and they'll be fed back into your account, automating the entire process with two-way sync from your front to back office. Vincherry's TimeTemp enables you to create shift schedules, search available workers, shortlist and book assignments in seconds. They'll also allow you to track time, track leave, track expenses within their built-in payroll engine. It's called Door Clock. And then they've also got a mobile app for the on-the-go worker. If, again, you're looking to get more from your CRM, Vincere's Timetemp Solution is another tool that enables you to perform more of your business-critical processes in your CRM. Find out if you could use Timetemp via the link in the show notes. Right, let's get back to it. What, just if you don't mind me asking, like, what are the biggest 
like symptoms or what 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 challenges is did your steps on face as a yeah. result of the, the so, so yeah so yeah so spinal muscular atrophy it's um it's a, a genetic um condition that affects the muscles uh, the, the the muscles in your body from growing so he's in a wheelchair um he's he's not able to walk and um but it's not the phys- it's not so much the physical mobility that's so much of that's so much of an issue it is an issue of course in being in a wheelchair but he loves his life and he loves yeah he loves whizzing around and having a great time but it's also the respiratory muscles so when you think of coughing clearing your chest uh breathing all of those things are affected so chest infections are quite common and um yeah it can be quite tough so um, can he can he cough himself and clean clean his ch- his own chest or does he need uh, like support he, with that? He can, but we have machines that help him do that that he has to use every day and overnight ventilators. And Bless him. So, yeah, it's 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 really tough, and we're under amazing care at Great Ormond Street and locally as well. Um, but the diagnosis when he when he was first diagnosed was was very very bleak. So tough. just sorry to go on. I just think it's really important actually, you know, to understand your journey. So you. This is early on in that five year period, is it? That you did you get with your? She was working with you. You got together. And she and she already had. She already had a son that was going through some challenges. Uh, well, no. And then he was diagnosed. Is that, no, is that right or not? No, he was well. He had had some. He had had some challenges, but um, uh, but Tara and her husband had separated really early into his into his life. Yeah. Um. We we got together before he was diagnosed, so he was yeah. being admitted to hospital fairly regularly, but. There were, it was no diagnosis. Was he still a baby, basically, at that point? Still so they didn't know what. Yeah, under yeah. one years old. So doesn't know what's, um, we don't know what's Yeah, I've got an eight-week-old today, and uh, she's amazing. But, yeah, you can't, yeah, at that age, you can't see, you don't know what's happening, do you? They can't tell you anything, and you just, you're just hoping that they're going to be able to do these things. And Exactly. How do, So, again, you've got such a commitment at work, mm. and then you, that, you get that put on your, you know, it's on your plate. It's, it's, you've chosen that experience you've chosen to be with that woman and take that child on, but that is such a major life-changing moment. How, how did you cope with it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't even a, I don't know for others maybe, but it wasn't even a question for me. It was like, yeah, that's, the deci- that's a decision that, uh, that, that we've made. We're, we're together. Of course, that's like, that's my responsibility. And we've got a great relationship with Oscar's dad. Um, mm. um, you know, we're all in it together. So it's, although it's, it's, you know, challenges that are before, you know, prior to the situation, you can comprehend um, when you're in it, you're in it. And that's just what you, that's just what you deal with. And um, Tara's incredible. Um, her ability to juggle. I mean, a working, working, working parents are tough as a, as a dad, but of yeah. mothers have it much harder. I think in the most part um, to be a director of, a recruitment business that's going through a sale for Tara as a working mother and having a child that's um, being diagnosed and going through this. I mean, she. Uh, so she was in the business. She was in the exit with you then. So yeah. you both. Yeah. Sure. So did that mean you both had a financial individual benefit that you collectively would realize? So it's, this business was actually yeah like everything to your family, wasn't it? To get sure. in that. Yeah, absolutely. That result in. So wow. yeah, so it was and, on the line. Mate, I can only imagine. And again, I don't, I don't, I, I hope you don't take it the wrong way. I, I wasn't questioning like how, if you were, you know, it was on your plate. I just think it's a lot to take. I mean, I've got two stepkids and I, I remember I love my wife and I loved her years ago. And it, it wasn't a question. As soon as I met her, I knew she had kids. I'd seen them on Instagram for years. I knew she had children. It wasn't, I said to her, like, it doesn't put me off in any way. But then when I moved in with them and I had the reality of every day with these two kids that aren't mine, that have a dad who's, who they see every weekend that, you know, were fundamentally different and, and I've missed out on a lot of time. Sure. It's t- it does take, it takes not getting used to, but it takes a level of, you've got to work. It's a, it's a job, you mm. know, it's a fucking job. It's an extra big job. Like I see it as my biggest job, my being a stepdad. It's my biggest job, bigger than Hoxo. It really is every day. It's every day. It's relentless. It doesn't end. And, and for you, even though it's a baby, you know, it's a lot of work. It is mentally as well. It's like the thought, you know, when you're like, I don't know about you. I, I struggle with like extra things to think about when I'm, because work's so consuming. If I have like admin piling up, I'm like, it fucks me off. Yeah. Like, go away. Someone take that off me. But then when you've got home admin and then you've got your home life and you've got your kids, there's so much to think about. So you've done incredibly well to get through that and successfully help a business exit. 
Yeah, I'm mean, proud of yourself. I would say I'm uh, terrible at personal admin. So <laughs> <laughs> that is the bit that, that normally gets um, you know gets in the way. And yeah, with Oscar's with Oscar's condition, you know, we get probably on average between five and ten letters from hospital per week about different right. appointments, different things. So it's it's insurmountable to deal with. Um, but I had football, and I think playing football in that period of time, although it was definitely selfish because um, you know I could have been around and helped out, and helped out slightly more. Um, I needed that release because I that didn't have release. We we're in a pressure cooker of a burnout. Um, we're working together, and that's another really tough part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Together in any situation is hard, but you're working together. You're in an earnout. You have a child with additional needs. Um, football was my release for that, so I would in, I would enjoy being on that pitch and having a argument with someone and you know going for it and having a you know winning winning a match and scoring a goal yeah it was your way out that was, that was the way out so I think that was the balance for me um mm. great because I know lots of others can turn to, you can turn to lots of other substances and things to do but that was my yeah opinion. don't do that yeah good work good work I I think the gym for me now you're running last year was running I ran 280 times last year in it and, and my blew my knee out <laughs> I'm having physiotherapy treatment now um but now I'm, I'm in the gym a lot only a couple of times a week but i'm lifting heavy i'm tracking what i'm doing i'm enjoying it and i feel like it's my release it's my time it's my only real me time you know and, and I, I, I do love it and I'm, I'm religious with it and i've got a little baby and i haven't missed a single session like I'm, I'm i have to go to be me at home like i have to if i don't go there today i'm gonna be i'm gonna be pissed off for myself and then i'm not gonna be the best version for you for the kids for for work so it's about discipline again isn't it talking through the to get into towards gs2 now like so you go to the how did the exit go and did you realize what you like the benefits you wanted how did how did that all event yeah so uh, eventuate so obviously the exit culminated in 2020 so we're going into 2020 and because the way the deal was structured the final year was obviously when we would have been our biggest our, mo our most profitable so we were structuring everything up to that so in you know, november december 19 we're thinking you know 2020 bumper year it. it's going to be great and um and then you know what happened so um we're sat there in march like what is this doing what's this going to do oh, for no. deal? you don't know Fuck what's going to happen You're thinking, is it going to be don't. nine months of loss making that's going to write off everything that we've achieved what we're we going to do so it was a really tough that was a really tough last year for us to achieve but actually with furlough and the way that we managed it and the clients coming back quickly um, it certainly wasn't what we hoped it would, would be that last year, but it was a structured deal, which meant it worked on an average over the over a period of three years. So in 2020, we still had the good work we had done in 18 and 19 to compensate um, right. an average of those three years. So it it affected us, but it wasn't. If it was all on that last year, then cool, that would have been a, that would have been a tough pill to take. But fortunately, it was structured slightly differently. So the deal was done. And then it was about what what's next. And the view was always that we were going to stay. Tara and I, um, we also um, had uh, another key member of our management team called Naz, who's now with me at GS2, uh, that were running the business. Uh, Simon had stepped out um, operationally at this point and was uh, thinking about, well, he was supposed to retire, but he actually ended up buying team, which- He was, was on the he was on the golf course and he changed his mind. Yeah, so <laughs> I'll think, get Simon on here soon. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, he he did. He bought team. Um, so he was out of the business, and we were like, "What are, what are we going to do?" And it became quite clear during the process that I think our value—not values, because I think that's probably too much—but our way of doing business was was different. And you they, and the the parent know, company that had bought the business. Parent company are a big temp recruiter. Um, they do blue collar workers, loads of them across Scandinavia. Forty five offices, I think, across Scandinavia. They rival the likes of. Hayes, Adeco, um, right. they do what generalist recruitment. So why they bought a permanent focused specialist recruiter in England is a bit of a question, to be honest, um, for us. But um, but they didn't really know the business. So they at that point, obviously, they're we're now reporting to them a lot more. So they were starting to give direction and we were having to run things past them. Prior to that, even during the earnout, we didn't. And I think it became quite apparent quickly that um, it probably wasn't going to work. But we saw an opportunity with the pandemic to try to buy the business back. And essentially, we went through the process to raise funds to um, 
but to offer to buy the business back, uh, went through discussions, um, due diligence. We raised the funds, the financing, willing to put houses on the line, all of that stuff. Sit the CEO, not the owner of the business, but the CEO gave us his approval on the Monday. It's all happening. Yep. Um, remember the line he said was, "Thanks for fucking up my strategy," but in a in a jokey way because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's come out a bit out of the blue. But needed to get completed on the board meeting on the Wednesday. Um, Wednesday comes, we have, don't get a call. So we're like, "What's going on?" Thursday nothing friday get an email from them basically saying company not for sale and um if you do want to buy it you're gonna have to put another million on the valuation to get it it's just like this is yeah no. it, obviously you're not selling so so um so then it was thinking about what's the future and what, what we're going to do and and that's when so when was that when was that happening that happened sort of probably end of q3 uh 21 so two um, years ago yeah about two years ago and i think from then the writing was on the wall that i was going to do something i was going to do something else um i always wanted to start my own business i wasn't sure what it was going to be my plan was always get into principal people sell we sell the business i'm 30. i had two ideas i i thought i thought i was going to leave principal people join a big corporate learn how they run things for two to three years and then set up at 33. Mm. but I sort of looked around, I didn't speak to anybody. I just sort of looked around at businesses, saw what probably I would do if I went into one of those firms and what commitment that would need and actually what it was, what it would take from me. And I, I thought I probably know most of this stuff. One of the yeah. tips, that, one of the best tips I got from my uncle actually when I joined Principal People was you're joining a small business, do your job, yeah, be a great recruiter, but learn the business, learn what happens how sit with finance find out how they send an invoice how do they do credit control what does um invoice discounting mean um how do you do how do you look at corporation tax um all yeah. the stuff that as a recruiter on a day-to-day -day basis i'm sure you saw when you set up hoxo changes for you but you don't know how to do it sometimes yeah i got i was the opposite i got I got involved in none of that at my old <laughs> place management but even p i didn't really have i didn't even have p l responsibility it was just hit a target you know mm. that was it um, sure. So when when I took on my own business, it was like right, I'm doing this all for the for the first time. Yeah. Um, but I, I I completely get it, mate. I think you'd have took that corporate job for three years, and you'd be three years behind where you are, yeah. where you'll be, right? And some people, I know, I know a few. I won't name them. I know a few people that are still on that journey. Going one day I'll start, and I think they they're on such big wickets, and mm. they're, they're they've got good lives. Don't get me wrong, they've got great lives. But what are they going to start when they're forty, forty five? 50 like yeah 30 is an age mate where you're like something about you just clicks I, I started my business at 30 and I was just like fuck it, I'm on it like 20s are working for someone else 30s are working for myself that was like my mindset and yeah. I'm 37 now Christ um it's going quick but it's uh sounds like you made the right call so how did you come up with the name well, I mean, I don't know how you've came up with Hoxo, but I it was it was a long long time coming yeah yeah about 100 names yeah. I've burnt through notepad lists on notepad lists of names and what it would be. And every name you get to, you're like, okay, that's the one you go on company's house and there's another one. Like, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, so I can't, Tara tells me that she came up with it. I can't actually remember that she did, but maybe I'll give her the credit for it one day. Um, but essentially broke it down. I was breaking down. What do we do? Like that's this, let's yeah. start with that. What do we do? And, um, essentially there were three main things I wanted to do when I set up the new business. I wanted us to do global because I, I think you know, post pandemic could see that you can work mm -hmm. globally much easier from, from the UK. Um, I wanted to be focused on sustainability. So I said, principal people was health, safety and environment. The environment part had been growing significantly in our time there. And this broader concept of sustainability was something that was coming through. Um, and three, I had been delivering in my role, um, executive search assignments. So essentially the way the business was structured, anything that was over hundred K that came into the business, um, I would support the consultant that had won it, or it was my own to go and pitch to the client to win a retained search. So it was self-taught retained uh, kind of model, but we had started to do a lot more of that. So it was global sustainable search and, you know, the two S's was S2. So I thought GS2. Um, and that's, that's it. That's about I like it. it. Yeah. I love sure. it. And, and Tara didn't start the business with you, right? She's not, no. she part? No. So no? This was, this was some, this was some, uh, interesting discussions because yeah. So we had been through, been through what we'd been through, um, 
selling a company in a pandemic as well added another layer of complexity. And I think we just said our probably yeah, our relationship would probably not survive setting up a business and it just being yeah. us two. Like in principal people, when we sold, we were about 42 people and Tara had responsibility for one half of the business, I had responsibility for right. the other half. So we had, there was a filter between us of our areas of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Down on day one in the same room doing working on, you know, it would have been it would have been tough. So, um, yeah, we made the decision not to. So what did she go and get another job? What what did she so, do? Yes, she took a bit of time out because Hugo was born. So, so yeah, it all happened really. In January, resigned. In February, Hugo, um, our son was born. Right. And in March, finished. And then in May, I set up. So um, Tara took some time off for, um, yeah. for him and uh, obviously for Oscar as well. Because, I mean, Tara's back in the office um working after i think a couple of weeks with oscar so um wow you know, yeah um, no needed some time fair so tell me about the journey then what was day one like well, how did you set it up so uh so day one sort of probably started with the negotiations of exit so we were on a it was on a two-year non-compete um and because it's a it's an SPA, a share and purchase agreement it's significant you know you can't employment contracts are one thing and yeah um, how enforceable they are, but an SPA is something that is you know, laser. You can't you can't get across yeah. it. So it started. The negotiation was, what are we? Um, you know, what am I going to focus on, and what am I going to do? And part of my argument was, when I had been going back and forward to Copenhagen, my view was, we need to invest in sustainability. It's the future. Um, the health and safety side is great, but let's really invest in sustainability and move it forward. And they need some capital to do so. And they were just um, very much like, you're doing a great job in health and safety. Keep doing that. So how, so how did you, yeah, how did you get them to waive sustainability? Or, have you, or did you have a battle around what you could and couldn't do? Well, my point, my point was that we weren't doing sustainability because that's what I was asking for investment in. So we we need to be sensible about the fact that clearly there's not a client base here um and um i was i had a notice period as well and we started to use that as a negotiating tool if we if we if i take less notice period i'm happy to walk away with less but yep. you open it up and ultimately we ended up um, agreeing on three uh three companies that i was able to engage with uh, but bearing in mind i was i wasn't very operational in recruitment so i had been delivering some exec searches, but the rest of the time it was the team that was delivering it. So I didn't really have relationships on the ground. So we agreed three companies that I could work with and um, uh, and yeah, and the fact I could work in sustainability, but it couldn't be a client that principal people had worked with in uh, a period of time. Right. So yeah, day one was a bit like, okay, <laughs> this is real. Um, what are we going to do? But did you work from had, home? Did you get an office? How did you do it? Yeah, so worked from worked from home to start with, um, and I just thought I want to I'm, I want to scale. I want to grow. I've got my plan of what I want to do, and by the end of by the end of this year, when I set up, I was I want to be twelve heads. That's my goal. And um, but the way to do that is I've got some money and capital from the deal, obviously, um, but I need to build. That's why I want to focus on. So I just sat so you didn't down. want to just spend your own money on it. You wanted to go and earn it first. Well, no, I spent. I put. I mean, I put my money into the business. So I put personal funds in to get things going, and I invested mm. in a few things. Um, one being Hoxo, yeah. um, and a few other uh, a few other areas um, that I suppose at the time some people were telling me I was a bit mad on, and you need to just focus on getting money on. But I could see the long term, and my view was. I'm taking this long term. I've been in an earnout for five years, and if, I, if I've been preconditioned to worry about literally every pound that we spend, because based upon the multiple, every pound oh, meant yeah. a lot for us. So now I'm thinking long term. So I started to invest in in, in areas. But a nice feeling to take that kind of, like you say, pressure cooker, forensic, every pound matters off a little bit, and just think, right, I'm not. There's no pressure if I get there in one year or three years. I've got to get there, and it's my way. For sure, for sure, and that was the beauty of it. So, um, so yeah, so look to do that, look to do that, and but and build, um, build pretty well from May to the end of the year. I think I did just over two fifty, and in perm billings, a couple of was that you going back on the tools as well because yeah. you'd not, yeah, you must have had a long time where you weren't really that operationally, yeah. like billing so how did you feel going back to just banging the phone and it. getting older? I actually loved it. I've really enjoyed it, and it and it gave me that sense of I'm building this from the ground up you know I'm mm. I'm I'm doing this and 
I can set the standard of what we do and how we recruit, because as I mentioned about our retained business, we work 90% of what we do is retained. We have four service offerings. Three of those service offerings are retained service offerings and um, varying levels of um, fee based upon how intense it is. Um, so I was able to really curate how do we work? What do we do? We have something called a steps to placement in, um, in GS2, uh, which basically was me doing absolute best practice it, from the moment we start talking to a client about a potential vacancy through to three months after the candidate's been in post and we've maximized the revenue opportunities of referrals and other things. What are the, what do we need to do? And it's 106 steps. Wow. Um, and um, I wrote that you know, manual as I was doing them because I thought this is me getting back to the roots and understanding what we, what we do and how we do this. So I was, uh, I, I really enjoyed doing that. And, um, and I knew when I then started to recruit a team, I could help and show them what they needed to do because my model was and is, is not to recruit executive search recruiters or yeah I might look at I might look at them in the future but for me it's about recruiting contingent recruiters who are hungry and determined and teaching them how to do uh, more retained models and methodologies I think it's a much better way because exec search can be very slow and the fees are big but it's hard to performance it's hard to understand performance in that regard because it's lots yeah. of lunches, dinners, coffees, and um, it doesn't, you know, success can be a £100,000 fee, um, but you might then have three months of nothing. And it's really hard when you're in a growing business to bring someone in on a big salary and be... So what are the levels you recruit now as a business? What what are the kind of benchmark um, levels? Yeah, so I think if we when we look at our average fees, we sort of group our first two service offerings into one, which are called set and select. And our average fee for that is something around the um, somewhere probably between the twelve and thirteen thousand mark. Then we have uh, success, uh, sorry um, search, which is about thirty five k average fee, and then we have success, which is true exec executive search, and the average fee for that's just under a hundred k, so ninety five thousand. Wow. So big, those are big searches, um, but the majority of what we probably do is search which is the right. sort of mid, mid tier. So somewhere between probably 20 and 30, 35,000. Amazing. And you, so you joined, you, you decided to work with me and our business about a year ago, right? It was the end of last year. Yeah. Um, what was it that made you think, you know, building your brand and investing on, into your, your knowledge of LinkedIn was something you should do? Well, I had a piece of paper that I was writing whilst I was still employed at Principal People thinking, when I do my business, what am I going to do? And um, there was a list of different things in there. And one of them was personal branding. And the, the, I've got it somewhere in my bag, probably. It says personal branding and it's got a dash and it says Amelia Sordell slash Hoxo. And it was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Going to do so, I think I just saw your face and Amelia's face constantly on my LinkedIn feed and thought, You guys know what you're doing. Um, mm. the thing I think with, with Hoxo, when I spoke to you, was um, I felt it was more slightly more replicable and uh, it was a process to follow that I think the team could deliver upon when they join. And um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great journey to do that and to see the success that that's had. Um, yeah, tell us how, like, what, how, how have you found it? Like, what's happened? So I think the first thing that's happened is it's changed the mindset of what recruitment is. Um, I think, as I went back to, we were very focused on new business in in principal people, which meant lots of cold calling business development and um, trying to create new opportunities, but not so much focusing on the existing uh, client bases and contacts that we had so, so much. Um, we had a few ways in which we did do that, but it certainly wasn't a main focus. I think the biggest impact for me has been being able to stay connected with the clients that we've already done business with. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not had as much success probably on the new business side of just you know people randomly reaching out. It does happen, but it's probably more candidates yeah. that are looking. But the impact on my existing clients who just know what I'm doing constantly and it comes into conversation. I think it's just that familiarity that means that once they've worked with you, there's always this thing in recruitment that you you, know, you work with a client and then um, you focus your attention on the new business. And then that yeah, client, yeah. when they recruit again, they go to someone else and you're like, why did they go to someone else? I think with, with what we do on LinkedIn now and staying connected with people, it reduces that risk a lot. So we've had clients yeah. that come back and say, I've seen you've done this. I know you've expanded here. Can you help us now? And that benefit is, is huge um, and I think as a, as a company and our culture you know on a Monday morning we have our LinkedIn 
uh, discussion. We talk about what we're posting for the week, what's come up, what can we do. And um, Kira, who works in um, our business um, as a talent manager, she does um, our company page. So she's using the content from the team. Yeah, the same strategy. She really pushes, she really pushes it. Um, uh, she r run reports, so that gets sent around on a weekly basis to see how people's followers are growing, the impressions, and then it's about how can we, what can we do with the contacts that are engaging with our content to maximize the return from them as well. So it's a, it's just a big cultural shift. We yep. get spoken about every single, it probably gets spoken about every hour in the office, something to do with how we engage with our LinkedIn. And if you had to put like a monetary value on an ROI, because people always say to me like, does this make money? And I'm just like, we wouldn't be working together if we didn't make money, right? Because yeah. you had my name written down before I'd even spoke to you, right? So I know, I've felt it. My whole business is built on it. But for you, like, if you had to go with like a ballpark figure of revenue that you could say is attributed to what you've learned, what would you say that would be? Um, probably should run that report because I've not actually, I've, I've not actually, I've not actually run it. And I think, as I said, it's probably more in the retention of clients than the new business right now. I've no mm -hmm. doubt the new business is going to come because it's just, it's just doing it consistently. But um, I probably, yeah. I'd, I'd probably go away and run that report and come back and tell you because I, <laughs> I said something. But we, you know, we, we're not we're talking you know, way bigger return on the investment that we've made. You know, we're, yeah. we're three, four times for sure of of what, yeah. what that. Is. So even if it's one or two deals, it you know it's going to be big. Return. And then the it's not just that though, is it? It's the fact that every day of every month of every week you're still using it, you're still learning, you're still adopting it. It's not like it's a one sat, one campaign that you're reliant on once. No. It's a skill set. It's a methodology. It's a skill set that you'll always be able to implement. So, and, and um, another bit that I don't think gets uh, thought about with it so much, but it's certainly something, because we haven't spoken about Tom, but something that Tom and his engagement with the business has focused on is about internal recruitment. And I think from an internal recruitment perspective, it's so crucial because as the founder, yeah. um, especially in our stage and under 20 staff people buy into the, the business to a degree but they buy into the founder most importantly so yeah being of course able to be personable and engaging on there and the people i reach out to now um they already know a bit about the business they know a bit about me they know about oscar they know a bit about my situation so there's a we can get down to it and it's a lot much more relatable quicker so I yeah think you're not just a random recruitment firm reaching out you're you're a recognizable character that they they've got some connection to and and yeah so you so you've now got tom glanfield the you know lawrence harvey extraordinaire as your uh as your advisor and that came from listening to the episode i did with him back then so how what impact has tom had and why, why did you bring tom in yeah well it's a it's a it was a bit i was training for the marathon i was running the london marathon and i was i'd listen to i'd always listen to the right podcast at one session as part of the long runs and then Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was listening to Tom and it was a it was a long it was a very long one I was doing and I listened to it and I was sort of halfway around and I was like I've got to listen to this again like, I don't I don't think I understood everything that he was saying I was in stitches yeah. when I was running yeah, yeah, so yeah. Funny. but just the mindset and mentality around how to grow a recruitment business it's I've spoken to lots of recruitment leaders and I've never come across somebody that has the mind the way in which he thinks about doing it um, and look there's there's lots of things that he's come on board to help with but I think in particular, the internal recruitment piece, and that was you know, a key area of focus for him, is around you don't need to be the best biller um, yourself as a founder to, be, to grow something. You need to find the best talent and your role ultimately becomes finding the best talent for your business. And that's how it opens doors. And even through to our board report, you know, on our board report, um, internal first interviews is one of the key metrics we look at. So every month we're tracking, he's tracking with me, how many internal first interviews are you having? Wow. Which, in, you know, and that's in less than two years. Most people wouldn't even be looking at like no, anywhere exactly. near that. But it's a key metric because otherwise you're not going to be getting the talent through. And in these downturn times where some organizations are laying off as a small business, it's a great time to grow because you can get great recruiters who um, may just be the victims of the overall businesses and lack of success rather than themselves. So, um, yeah, he's been it's been transformative to have him on board. And even as far as just uh, last week, we hit our incentive, which I ran for the business. And um, Tom's very kindly donated his amazing chalet in Chamonix. So we're as a company going out there in uh, in February to experience uh, what it's like to be living in the fast lane, shall we say. And uh, Mate, some of that for it's Tom. exciting. That, that'll be a nice way to get to the like two years since you finished your previous nice celebration in February. And yeah. that, that kind of leads me on to 
where we're going like what, what what's what's the vision for for gs2 so you you've you've done remarkably well in the last two years you've got a good business you got you know you you're tracking you're organized you've got processes you've got people you've got advisors you're not messing about like you're not just like a biller that's running around trying to wang this company together like there's a lot of myth i think you're a very methodical guy i can tell the fact that you did a 106 step process or something in day one there's the, not many people do these things so i know for a fact you've got some kind of vision you're, you're aiming for what bring that to life for us Where, where's the business going to be for sure so um yeah definitely building gs2 with an exit in mind um that's been clear from day one and i think the lesson learned from principal people is trade sales although they can be lucrative for the uh, shareholders, you know, our second largest shareholder of the business. Um, but the culture changed almost overnight when that happened. Um, and I don't, I didn't like that. And I didn't think that, I think that we built something so special for such a long period of time and then it just dissipated really quickly. So wow. for me in selling the business, I've been clear with the team and the staff. I really want to um, do it through two ways. One will be an MBO. I think uh, focusing on that will mean that we're recruiting great people who can replace me ultimately and to grow the business beyond um or an eot which of course is what lhi did yeah. recently and is another great way to keep it internal so it's a way to protect the business to keep the great people to give them um a slice in the business and to grow it forward and and that's our plan of what we're looking to do um ultimate ultimate goal is to do it by 2030 but i think um the backstop is 2032 so um yeah you'll only be what like 40 then? Is that the plan, roughly? Yeah. And that's what... I had a plan for Hoxo when I started at 30 that I'd be... I wouldn't. I didn't say I'd sell it at 40, but I said I'd be in a position where I'd be financially free at 40, which is the... That was my driver. It was just I'll be in a position where my future will be set. I'll have the funds away and I'll be able to make decisions as to how I want to work, when I want to work, why I want to work, as opposed mm -hmm. to having to do it. And I think... I feel like we actually are on track to where we want to be, but there's still, we've not even scratched it. It's like seven years in and you're like, we're not even started yet. Like, it, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I think you're the sort of person you are when it's your own baby. Seven years, seven to 10 years will go so fast. You'll probably have a, you'll have another plan 10 years later for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, we're, we're in the UK right now. We're eight staff. Um, want, to, want to be 12 by the end of this year. I think it's going to be tough for us to achieve that. But um We'll make up for it next year. We want to be 25 by the end of next year and have key uh, presence in each of those five divisions uh, with a leader or if not a leader yet, a leader that's in the business, that, a future leader in mind. Um, we want to be in the US. We're going to be in the US probably late next year or early 2025. Um, we want to be in uh, in Europe uh, as well with presence. So um, we, we see the ability to grow the business um, very clearly. Uh, I think that what it comes down to, though, is finding the best people to to join and be inspired by the journey. And we haven't really spoken about it, but where we're located means we're not in London, so it's tough to find good talent. Um, but the viewpoint is if we can find the people who want the London type of growth from a company, but doing it more locally in a sustainable uh, market or a market where you actually can make a difference as well, because um, we haven't really spoken about that. But our, you know, we're a B, we're a B Corp um, business. We give five percent of our profits to charity. We give the staff five days of annual leave to use towards good causes. So we're doing it in an ethical way as well. Of course, I'm commercially driven and I want to make money for myself and my family. But I believe we can do it. But both can happen coincidentally. We can make good yeah, money, man. But we can because you've got you've got. Um... The Edison Smart guys obviously are in Basingstoke, right? They must be the biggest thought. Is there, is there anyone else that, that's there that's obvious? That's I mean, uh, not, I mean, there's Hayes and others, but yeah, um, yeah. In terms of like, when it comes to like a boutique growing yeah. something special, yeah, yeah. But those guys are good. They're in our. They were in our office. They just moved. They've literally moved just that round the corner to a bigger space. They're doing. They're doing yeah. phenomenally well. I listen to their to their to their podcasts. Um, and uh, Kira and our team's connected to their to their. Uh, yeah. Talent as well so they're doing good things so yeah we watch what they do and uh, of course we're uh, uh we're replicating some of those areas um but it's uh mate it's good you're absolutely you know you're, it's inspirational what you're doing obviously we i think we need a part two episode to this because there is a lot we haven't got to um and i think next year we should see how you're tracking in six to 12 months and have a part two and we can dig into 
what you've done since and then more of the, the longer term vision and, and how you're running it. But I'm really interested in this getting people on and then tracking them a year later and, and like people seeing the journey unfold as opposed to it just being like, you know, telling people you're going to be, because that's what I did with Edison Smart. I had them on a year ago and then I had them on a few months ago and it's incredible in a year what they've done. They've opened up Dubai. Sure. They've done all these things. It's let's do it. Let's get you on in the future. And if, yeah. if, if anyone's sat listening, obviously if they want to work for you, get in touch because you're hiring for sure. But if they wanted just to pick your brains on anything to do with, you know, your exits in the past or your plans moving forward, the sustainability market, the B Corp certification, you're open to a chat with anyone and give them some advice, I imagine. For sure. And I think, you know, one of the things I was very mindful of coming on now is it is early on and Mm. there's been so many amazing recruitment leaders that have sat speaking to you on this podcast. And I didn't didn't want to do myself a disservice from coming on too early and it probably is a little bit early. Um, So absolutely would love to continue talking and showcasing where we get to because we're on a we're on an amazing journey. I know we're going to have a huge amount of success, huge amount of fun. Um, would love to talk to anyone that's interested in either working for us or networking. Um, But yeah, definitely let's stay in touch because it would be great to see how the journey unfolds. Legend, mate. Thanks so much. And uh, best of luck with everything that moves forward. Cheers. Thanks, Sean. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly hope that you got value from it. Honestly, it's the only reason I take time every week to ensure that my audience, you guys, future and existing recruitment owners, you're learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. And today's episode is brought to you by my business, Hoxo. I'm the CEO and founder, and we're on a mission to help brand recruitment agencies and their people better. I wanna help people have the tools to stand out in the most competitive markets in the world. We're currently working with over 350 recruitment agencies and 5,000 of their consultants right now, helping them to build their personal brands to consistently win more business attract talent and just become that go-to recruiter in the market. Now we do have a huge coaching program, but a lot of people don't know, we also manage the brands of a lot of founders and we can do the rebrand of that company organizational piece as well. So if your recruitment agency either needs help to look and sound exactly how you want it to, or your leadership and consultant level need to get out there and drive more traffic back to that website, to the business, and start using LinkedIn to generate more revenue, then you should definitely be reaching out to us. If that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean, a personal message on LinkedIn. I love hearing from RAG listeners. I would love to talk to you. Uh, Look forward to it. So I'll see you again next week with another episode. Catch you soon.